This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. One of the most important concepts within our religion, our deen, and this is something that the Qur'an talks about extensively, something that is very, very prominent from the study of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, the prophetic biography, the Sirat al-Nabawiyyah. And similarly, this is something that is very extensively very emphatically addressed by the Prophet ﷺ in his sacred traditions, in the ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ. And something that is a very obvious need of human beings, something that is a part of the human experience, and that is the issue of family. And the issue of family is something that each and every single one of us address, each and every single one of us experience rather, each and every single one of us deal with in our own way, shape or form but something that is every it is relevant to each and every single human being and when talking about the issue of family i feel it's very very important it's crucial it's critical for us and when when we look at any issue any situation such as the imam the sheikh in the in the ayat that he recited within the prayer he was talking about the issue of the concept of the belief in one allah believing in one god one deity the concept of tawhid oneness of god and what's very beautiful, what's very, very um, important to note about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses the issue of tawheed within the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents the problem to us. It talks about, you know, the partners that you associate with Allah. The, the false God, the false deities, the false idols that you have taken other than Allah. And so, one very important way in addressing any situation and one very consistent pattern throughout the Quran, throughout the teachings of the Prophet ﷺ, that if we are to truly, actually address any issue, any concern, any situation, then we first and foremost must come to terms with the reality of the situation. You know when we talk about rehabilitation, when we talk about solving any problem, when we talk about resolving any type of issue, the very first step of rehabilitation is accepting that there is a problem. Being aware of the problem, being cognizant of the situation. And not being ashamed, not being afraid, not shying away from admitting the fact that there is a problem. That's the first step to solving any situation, any problem. So when we talk about the situation of family, and something that is very near and dear to our hearts, and I think anyone that has any level of experience in community leadership, community matters, community affairs, will I think very readily admit and stand up here with me and preach about the dire need of addressing family issues. Not just in society, not just in community, but specifically even within the Muslim community. From our Imams and our Shuyukh who are on the front lines, to even community leaders and community activists. A basic khatib. A basic khatib, 
can tell you the importance. A Sunday school teacher, a weekend school Islamic school teacher, would be able to speak to you for hours and hours about the critical need of addressing the family situation. So coming to terms with the reality, what is the reality at hand? What are our issues? What are our circumstances? What's going on with us? Number one, I think one thing that we have to understand, in our very unique circumstance, in our very unique situation, as a Muslim minority living here, in America, in the United States, I think the very first thing that we need to understand, we need to come to terms with, come to terms with, is that the problems that we are experiencing in Muslim families are the same that others are experiencing in outside of the Muslim community as well. Meaning our problems are not, there are certain things that are unique about our circumstances and situations, but generally speaking, a lot of what we are experiencing are general problems across the board. Because we have to again deal with a very specific reality. And that reality is, is that we live in society, we live in this same society that everyone else does, every other faith-based community, or every other you know, ethnic community. The same society that they live in, the United States of America, current day, modern day United States of America, we are living in that same exact society. We are being impacted by those same social elements. And so we have to, the very first thing I think it's very important for us to understand is, deal with the reality that we are similar to any other community. Meaning we will be impacted by our society, by the culture we live in. The media, the impact that it's having on them, it's also having that same impact on us. Our children going to school, the effects that the school environment or interacting with other children, the same effects that it has on them, it's also affecting us. You know, I always tell the story that I have a little bit of a unique experience and that is, and, and I mean, again, there's many other people who have much more extensive experience in this regard, but I feel in terms of a lot of the people in our communities today, I have a little bit of a unique experience and that unique experience is simply the fact that I was, I, I was raised during the 80s and that's not too long ago. I still might be a kid or a youngin to many of our elders here, but that still is a significant time ago. I grew up during the 80s. You know, I was a teenager during the 90s. And so, and I particularly grew up in a place where there were very few Muslim families. The Muslim family is still, the Muslim community is still relatively young. It was very, very small, minuscule. It was very, very small back then. And so growing up at a time like that, I kind of got to see the evolution of the Muslim community, if you will. The development of the Muslim community. To developing to the point where we are today. And there was also at the same time, amongst the immigrant Muslim community at that time, there was this notion, there was this idea, and I don't mean to offend anyone by calling it that, there was even this delusion that we're all eventually going back home. We're all going back home. And that was the tone of the Muslim community, the immigrant Muslim community in the 80s. The immigrants amongst the Muslim community, that was their mindset during the 80s. Even leading into the 90s, we're all eventually going back home. 
So there was a certain amount of denial about dealing with the issues at hand. And I remember very vividly that when people would even address social issues, social evils, family issues that were very, very common at that point in time in general American society, there used to be this distancing themselves from those issues or those concerns by saying, those are their problems, not ours. That happens with them, not us. I still remember during the early 90s, one of my main teachers and mentors, one of my senior shayukh, Mufti Naeem, Hafizahullah, <clears throat> may Allah protect him, he used to visit the United States very commonly, very frequently, on an annual basis. And he would travel around and he would talk to communities. I was a very young Hafiz at that time, very young Hafiz of the Quran. I was leading Salat al-Taraweeh at a community, with a, with, for a community at a masjid. And he came to visit and check on me and see how we were doing. And we had close family relationships with him as well. So he came to the Taraweeh prayers to listen to me, to, you know, as a teacher, to check on me, see how I was doing. And then of course we requested him to address the congregation like I'm addressing you now. He, we are, uh, requested him to address the community. Address us after the Taraweeh prayers. And he started talking about the family issues. And he was trying to emphasize the importance of adhering to the deen, learning the deen, the importance of instilling tarbiyah, a system of tarbiyah within the homes, within the community, so that our children could grow up with the proper Islamic perspective. Otherwise, these family socials and evil, the social evils and the family issues that we saw out there amongst them, you see the very specific language I'm using? That before we know it, it would be standing at our own doorstep and it would be inside of our own homes and our own community. And I actually remember being very young, I was shocked by this reaction. I remember some community members becoming very angry shouting at the sheikh, interrupting him and becoming very angry. How dare you? You know, he's talking about issues like divorce. He's talking about kids running away from home. He was talking about children rebelling against their parents. He was talking about families breaking apart and cutting each other off and disowning each other. You know what basically has become commonplace in our communities today, right? He was talking about these things and I still remember very vividly some community members becoming very angry. How dare you even talk about this stuff? Don't even mention the word divorce. Our children are here, our families are here. How dare you talk about this stuff? These aren't our problems. We're Muslims. We don't have these problems. That's, those are their problems. And pardon my, my use of the word. I, I don't condone speaking in this manner, but I'm trying to paint the picture for you on what the mentality was. Those are the kuffar's problems. Those aren't our problems. We don't have those issues. There was such a complete denial. There was such oblivious and such delusion present in our communities at that time. And before you knew it, you know that same, my same teacher, visiting year after year, it was literally a number of years before he's being requested when he's opening up and he's giving a lecture and he was gonna talk about taqwa or sabr or patience or fasting or the importance of Qur'an or something like that, he's specifically being requested to talk about marriage. He's specifically being requested to talk specifically about divorce. To specifically talk about children rebelling against number of years. So, this is a reality that we have to come to terms with. 
that though their problems, those problems, those are the same problems we have. There's a certain common thread between a lot of these issues. And therefore, the factors are the similar, are the same, are similar. And therefore, a lot, some solutions at the same time might also be very, very similar. We will of course have our own unique take on them because of the guidance of Allah and the guidance of His Messenger wasallam. But nevertheless, there are certain common threads that we have to understand. And we also have to understand we are not immune. As Muslims, as Muslim families, as a Muslim community, we are not immune to the evils, to the problems, to the circumstances, to the situations that might exist out there. That's the very first reality. The second reality I'd like to present here, before I get started with addressing some specifics of the family situation, the condition, the situation of family. <clears throat> the second reality is, and this is very important, we have to understand this, because a lot of times for us, and not wrong, not, this is not wrong or incorrect in any way, shape or form, but nevertheless, it's a concern, and some people are just very focused in this regard. For some people, the bottom line is spirituality. Just Islam, Iman. And they translate Islam, Iman as just the connection with Allah. The spiritual part of it. The spiritual relationship, the spiritual connection to Allah. Understand one thing, family struggles, family difficulties, unrest, trouble, chaos, distress in the home, unhappiness in the home, it affects spirituality. It affects people's relationship with Allah. It has a very profound impact on an individual. When someone is struggling in their marriage, in their relationship with their children, in their relationship at home, in the, the harmony in the home is gone, that does affect, that will affect a person's spiritual condition. How often has it been the case that when you ha are having a fight at home, you are in the middle of a very serious situation with your spouse. Yes, the mind initially goes to making dua, but when it goes on, when it persists, when it becomes a serious problem or a serious issue, how common is it that it even, you forget to pray? You don't think of the prayer. You don't feel like getting up and praying. You become neglectful of even your salah. How common is that? So understand that even unrest within the home, and that emotional distress that a human being experiences due to concerns in the family, and distress in the family, it affects spirituality. Make no mistake about that. Now having said that, what are some of the key dynamics the key relationships of family where we are struggling and what are some of the struggles that we are experiencing. And then we'll talk a little bit, very briefly, it's a very short lecture. And so obviously we can't solve the problem here, we can't even in detail address the issues or the solutions, but we can at least raise awareness. And understand raising awareness is the first step to solving any problem. After a person admits that there is a problem, the next step is raising awareness at least about the issue, and then secondly about some of the solutions. So we need to at least start talking about this, being, becoming aware of it. And that's what we'll do here. The very first universal dynamic of family relationship is the parent-child relationship. 
Because everyone is either a parent or a child. Marriage and some of those things, we'll talk about that. But the very first most universal application of family is the parent-child relationship. Everyone is either a parent or everyone is either a child. One or the other. And you know something very beautiful about the Qur'an, about the Book of Allah? The ultimate source of guidance, the ultimate reminder, the ultimate lesson. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this relationship in the Qur'an. Highlights both the problem, the problems, and even the solutions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents problematic, difficult parent-child relationships to us in the Qur'an. And then He presents to us harmonious, happy, beautiful, functional, beneficial, flourishing parent-child relationships within the Qur'an as well. To both present the problem and the solution. And the Qur'an is not a storybook. The Qur'an is not a history textbook. The Qur'an is guidance. It's a reminder. It presents and solves problems. It points out our problems to us, and then solves those problems for us. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chooses to mention something in His book, in His kalam, in His speech, it's there for a reason, it's there for a purpose, because it's very important and very relevant. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Maryam, and other places as well, but very extensively, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents the very difficult, strained relationship of Ibrahim alayhi salam with his father. A father is frustrated with the son and a son is frustrated with the father. Both have their own perspectives. The father is frustrated with the son because the son has abandoned the culture, the religion, the ways of his father, of the family, of the community, of the forefathers. And the son is frustrated with the father because the father is in denial about the truth. Believing in one God. And they're actually going back and forth. The son is telling the father, Ya Abati, very respectfully, Oh my dear father, which is like how we would say, Dad, please. Daddy, please. Abu, come on, please. Baba, please. He's pleading with his father, Ya Abati, Ya Abati, four times. At the beginning of every statement, he says, Dad, please. Ya Abati, Ya Abati. And he's trying to be respectful. He's trying to not point any blame. You're not bad, Dad. Shaitan is bad. He's trying to plead with the father. And the father is frustrated with the child. So you're trying to tell me my gods aren't good enough for you? Boy? Ibrahim, he doesn't say, my dear son. Ya Ibrahim? Boy? My gods aren't good enough for you? La arjumannaka. I'll kill you. Literally means like I'll stone you, which is an expression in Arabic, I'll kill you. I'll hurt you. You need to stop now. I'll hurt you. Wahjuni maliyan. Get out of here. I disown you. You're dead to me. You're nothing to me. Look how difficult that relationship is. Allah presents such a relationship, parent-child. Ya'qub alayhi salam with the older sons. That's a strained relationship, isn't it? They're jealous. He likes Yusuf better than he likes us. He chooses Yusuf over us. He loves Yusuf more than he loves us. Why? 
Why would he? And the father is trying to make the sons understand, what's wrong with you guys? Why would you even say that? Why would you even think that? The father knows that the sons have taken their younger brother and basically disposed of him. They're lying to my face. The father knows. But what can he do? Why don't you understand? Difficult relationship. So a parent-child relationship is something that we, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, There are lessons. So there will be difficulties in the parent-child relationship. The child will feel like the parents just don't understand me. And the parent will, will be frustrated with the child. I only want good for you. Why don't you listen to me? Child says, you don't understand me. The parent says, you don't listen to me. And I think all of us have experienced that. And you know, subhanAllah, something that's unique about this relationship, it's, it's not only when the children are young. This is not only in the teenage years. Those who are older and who have older parents also know the struggles and the challenges. That's why you know that very famous ayah of the Qur'an from Surah Al-Isra, Surah Bani Israel, Surah number 17. That very famous, you know, ayah, وَقَضَى رَبُّكَ أَلَّا تَعْبُدُوا إِلَّا إِيَّاهُ وَبِالْوَالِدَيْنِ إِحْسَانًا You know, don't even say oof to your parents. You know what context that's saying that in? It's specifically talking about what? It's talking about when one or both of your parents have reached senility. They've become old. They've become senile. Now they're angry. They're frustrated. Their body is falling apart. They're ill. They're sick. They can't eat properly. They can't sleep properly. They can't walk properly. You know how difficult that is? As young, able-bodied people, we have no understanding of how frustrating that must be. Imagine living your life on your own feet, being independent for 50, 60 years. And then one day, you can't even get up and go get a glass of water for yourself. You can't even go and use the restroom yourself. Imagine what that's like. So they're angry. They're short-tempered. They're frustrated. And even the mind begins to go. The emotions become frail. Like Allah tells us, يُرَدُّ إِلَىٰ أَرْضَ لِلْعُمُرِ They get returned back to the worst of ages. You know, one of my dear, dear friends, one of my dear, dear friends, he's one of my best friends. He accepted Islam in middle school. We grew up together. So he's a convert, he's a revert. His parents are not Muslim yet. Make dua for them, inshallah. May Allah bless them with guidance, with hidayah. His mother, his, both his parents are old and they're, you know, they have health issues, but his mother suffered a very severe stroke recently. To the point where she lost a lot of function in half her body. And he told me, he's like, Nasir, you know, I never, he goes, you know when life hits you, when, when you wake up to the reality of life, when so many things, the reality of them hits you in the face, 60 miles per hour. It's like, I went, and he's working, and he's working hard, and he travels for work, and he has to be away from his parents because he's financially supporting them and paying the bills, the medical bills, for the nurse to be there to take care of his mother. All the responsibilities on him, but he said, I was visiting my parents over the weekend, back home from work, off the road. I went back to my parents, and I was with them over the weekend. He said, I sat there, and I fed my mother with a spoon. I spoon-fed my own mom. 
Subhanallah. It's like that's when I realized. Like you know you sit there and feed a child. I have a two-year-old at home. Yeah, you sit there and you feed your child. Come on, come on. Open up, open up. Another one of my dear friends. Dear, dear friends. We studied together. We grew up together. We're like brothers. His mother also, you know, very, very difficult health. Suffered a stroke and, you know, dealing with a lot. And I visited him. And I visited his mother with him. Having to force her to speak to talk, to interact, to eat, ask, did you eat your food? Come on, did you eat your food? Subhanallah. So Allah subhanahu wa is talking about when the parents reach the old age. My grandmother, rahimahullah, may Allah subhanahu wa bless her and grant her jannat al-firdaus. She developed Alzheimer's before she passed away. Subhanallah. I, I witnessed that. And I witnessed my mother experiencing that. And my aunt and my uncle experiencing that. The mind was gone. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in that context, He's speaking about parents becoming old. So anyone who's even an adult and a grown this is not the, the difficulty, the frustration with parents. You may, you're making my life difficult. You know what teenagers say? God, you hate me. Like why do you hate me so much? You never want to let me do anything. You want to ruin my life. And usually it's about like, you know, sleeping over at the friend's house on a Friday night. But everyone's going to be there. You're destroying my life. Right? So that frustration that kids have with parents, it's not just relegated to teenagers. Anyone that has elderly parents, that is an adult now, that is mature now, but I'm an adult, I'm mature now. I don't have drama. I don't have teenage hormones. I'm not going through that phase of my life. I'm not an adolescent. You still know about the frustration with parents, don't you? Because fine, you might be an adult. You might not have drama anymore. But now your parents are old. And they're fragile. And they're senile. And they're demanding. They don't want your money. I pay their bills. What more do they want? I send money every month, what more do you want? They just want to sit and talk to you. That's all they want. They just want to sit and talk to you. They still want to know that they exist to you. They, they matter to you. They still want you to ask their opinion about something, like you used to. So Allah SWT is speaking specifically. So the frustration with parents is a universal thing. Everybody deals with it. And similarly, you know, frustration with the children, disappointment with children in your children, it's a universal thing. When they're kids, they don't listen, they don't learn, they don't pay attention. You know, already my four-year-old, four you know, the world is opening up to her. She's starting to become more and more independent every single day. Every single day, it's already awkward for her now. I dropped by her school, she just started going to school. I dropped by her school, you know, walked into the classroom, I saw her working. So you know, you know, when your children are small and at any age for that matter, I mean, my children are small, so that's all I know. And when you look at your children, you're overcome with love. You know, that love just fills your heart. I haven't seen her for three hours. 
She went to school at 8 in the morning. I'm at her school at 11. It already feels like a lifetime. So what did I do? I walked up to her from behind her. I hugged her. I kissed her. She's like, Abu, stop. And then when she got home later that day, she tells my wife, Mommy, Abu hugged me and kissed me in front of everybody. Right? In front of everybody. Right? So that, 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 you know, the, the, the parent, so I, I'm like, what's wrong with that? Of course I hugged you and kissed you. Because you're my baby girl. That's why I hugged you and kissed you. It starts there. Start to become independent. Anybody that got teenagers, you know, I was recently talking to a friend, a colleague, another imam. It was kind of, it was like an imam's dinner. We were all getting together, having dinner, just talking about, you know, how much we love our communities. And, uh, and <laughs> you know, how amazing our lives are, mashallah. And uh, so we were just talking. And we're all fairly, I mean, younger in that sense. Like we all have small, small children. We still have babies. Except for one of us, one of the imams, one of our colleagues, he actually has a teenager. And then, you know, it just kind of hit me, it struck me. So I asked him, I said, you know, we talk and we lecture so much, we preach all the time. How is it having a teenager? He was like, yes, salam. Right? That's all he could say was, yes, salam. Make God for me. Right? <laughs> right? So that disappointment, that, that, that frustration, with children, universal thing. Whether they're kids, whether they're teenagers. And like I said, even when your children are all grown up, you think my parents still don't get frustrated with me? Of course they do. Of course they do. Even when they're all grown up and they have kids of their own, they're responsible individuals and they got a job and a home and a family. There's still always going to be frustration. Like because of what I just mentioned. You don't have time for me anymore? You can't come and say hi? You can't say salam to your mom? You know, my mom text messages me. It weirds me out, right? There's something that seems unnatural about an older Pakistani woman text messaging me. Like, why? Why do you even know how to text message, right? So she text messages me. And she, respect, she expects a text message back. And if I don't respond back in the next couple of minutes, like, you know, I was lecturing or teaching or something, then I get a follow-up text message with question mark. Next one has two question marks. The third one has three question marks. Right? Where are you? Right? So it's a universal thing. Being frustrated with your children. It's a universal issue. All of us experience this. So that's one of the situations. That's one of the dynamics in which we require some guidance. We need some guidance. We need some direction. I'm going to lay out some of the key family relationships or dynamics and what are the issues. And then we'll talk about implementation of some of the solutions. The second family dynamic that we struggle with, that we're experiencing problems in regards to, is marriage, marital discord. Starting all the way from pre-marriage, how to get married. You know, it's a universal problem. It's actually become a very common issue, a very common problem. You can ask the Shaykh, you know, how many young people show up at his doorstep? I want to get married to so-and-so. But this problem, or her parents, or my parents, or this, or that, starts from there. And then even problems in the marriage. 
You know, not sometimes you end you, you know in a rush, in a rush of emotions, or even in you know zealous overzealousness, reli religious overzealousness, like you become religiously overzealous. I have to avoid the sin, avoid the fitna, get married. Who, why, where, what, how? Doesn't matter, brother. It's the sunnah. I'm pretty sure getting married blindly is not the sunnah. But that's what happens. So either people are ending up married, very, very young people who get married very young, in, in again, religious overzealousness or just a rush of emotions. A couple of years into marriage, even a couple of months into marriage, they realize they didn't know the person they got married to. And we have so, it's becoming so common for young people, newlywed couples, to be divorced within a number of months. Even a couple of years, if not a couple of months. Lack of responsibility in the marriage. A husband not taking his responsibility seriously. A wife not behaving responsibly. A father, mother, not, you know when you have young children, so many families, so many couples experience marital issues and marital problems. Why? He's not being a father to his children. She's not being a good mother. Lack of responsibility. In-law interference. This is a term I came up with. In-law interference. You know past interference? For football fans? In-law interference. Trademark. Alright? In-law interference. It's a major issue. Because you have a clash of cultures, you have a clash of worlds, dimensions happening. So the interference from in-laws, is all interference from the in-laws bad? Absolutely not. But nevertheless, the dynamics of that interference, how that interference is taking place, it's causing problems. The in-law issue, the in-law problem, a lack of maturity, rushing into decisions, rushing into marriage. Prioritization. For some people, work comes before the family. For some people, the religious cause, the religious cause, the organization, the association, the movement, the spreading of the deen comes before family. That's becoming a problem. Families are being torn apart. Why? And, and honestly, this is an oxymoron. To say that somebody's family failed because of their service to the deen, because of da'wah, the family is falling apart, that doesn't even make sense, that's a contradiction. That's an oxymoron. That's impossible. That obviously means somebody did not understand the deen or the religion. Lack of communication. You know, in prioritization, another thing. Sometimes it could be the religion, sometimes it could be work, sometimes it's money, it's greed, and that's justified. But I just want to give you guys a nice home to live in. I want to give you guys the life that I never had. I want our kids to go to the best school. And what happens because of that? We destroy the family that we were using as justification to chase after money. Sometimes it's my own hobbies, my own indulgences. I'm married, I still got to play modern warfare all night long with my friends. I'm married, I still got to go to the basketball tournament. I work five days a week. Saturday there's a basketball tournament. Saturday the wife is waiting. We're finally going to get to spend some good quality time together. Oh, I got to go. Got to go ball with the boys. 
right? My own personal hobbies, my own personal indulgences. You know, this is football country. I come from Dallas, another football area. So you guys will understand what I'm talking about. Saturday, college ball, bowl games. Equals what? 12 hours in front of the television. What the spouse does, well, that's their problem. I'm sorry, I'm not gonna change me. I'm not changing for anybody. You married me, that's what you get. I heard you say I accept, all right? I heard it. So you accepted ASU football as well, as terrible as it is, all right? Sunday, football, NFL game day, Sunday. I have that, whatever that package is called, the NFL, the direct TV package, NFL game day or whatever it's called, where it's like eight screens on the TV at one time. You know, so in, in a 12 hour period, I watched 15 games simultaneously. Congratulations. Right? Mubarak. You want a cookie? Or maybe a laddu? Right? What do you want? And so it's either that, prioritization, and a lack of sense of what the priorities are. In this culture, we even, we have a challenge, and I'll tell you from a young, I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas. From this culture's perspective, I'll tell you one very huge problem we have in prioritization. Something we put before family that is very unique and specific to this culture. And that is, there's actually a phrase, an expression that guys use. I'm, I can't repeat it here, it's offensive, it's inappropriate. And this is the masjid, the house of Allah, so it's impossible. And I wouldn't still because it's inappropriate. But they basically say bros before blank. Don't say it. Shame on you. Right? But they say bros before in a very derogatory word about women. They're basically putting your friends before your woman. Even though that word doesn't even apply to a person's wife. Astaghfirullah. But nevertheless... It, that, that, that same concept, people apply it to marriage. Uh-uh, my friends come first. Gotta hang with the boys. And this is not just specific to the guys, this is even in regards to the women. Even in regards to girls. That if a girl gets married, a woman gets married, she's a wife now, how dare she not go out with the friends to dinner? They get shunned, they get outcasted by their unmarried friends. They get pushed out by their unmarried friends. This is a real struggle people are having. That they literally have to kind of reinvent their friend circle. They have to go and rediscover friends. First when they get married, the unmarried friends want no part, no business. Why? She ain't got time for us no more. She'd rather go and spend time with her husband. Like that's a ridiculous concept. And then the married, the young married friends, who don't all have children, the first one who has children, gosh, she's so lame to hang out with now. Why? Oh, everything's about a diaper and milk and... Well, God forbid she'd be a good mother, right? So now she's again outcasted by her friends. Now she has to go rediscover. She has to go out there and discover other mom friends. This is, this is a struggle people have. And so what, what do people? People crumble underneath that pressure. So no, my friends got to be put first. What am I going to do without my friends? 
So the, the marriage, the children, everything will come second. So the marriage struggles because of lack of prioritization. Lack of communication. That's one of the most universal issues and problems. Lack of communication. Never establishing the lines of communication, let alone being comfortable with communicating. Concerns, problems, you know, even good things. Nothing is communicated. Those commun lines of communication never established. Well, again, in this culture, it's a, it's a culture in which we pride ourselves on our individuality, on our independence. I'm independent on my own self, I don't need anybody's help. And that manifests itself and creates problems even in marriages. An unwillingness to compromise. Why should I change anything about myself? If you don't like the way things are, then you deal with it. Complete, total lack of compromise. Absolutely no motivation, no inclination to sacrifice anything. I should not have to sacrifice anything. And this is on both sides of the marriage. I'm not sitting here giving some old school lecture about women having to sacrifice. No, this is on both sides. And I feel especially some of the very unique dynamics we have, especially I can speak about my generation and our challenges. I feel that lack of sacrifice, that unwillingness to sacrifice exists actually more amongst the guys than it does even amongst the girls. Complete, total, just unwillingness to sacrifice anything. And then... A third manifestation, which I'll talk about more briefly, of family issues or family problems, is sibling rivalry. Amongst the siblings. It's a little more unique than even marriage, but nevertheless it is a problem, it is an issue. Whether it's the parents favoring un unknowingly, unintentionally, but they're favoring one child over another. That harbors, that creates and harbors resentment amongst the children for each other. Sensitivity. As families, as parents, and overall as families, we have to learn to be sensitive to the strengths and the weaknesses of each and every single child. To be cognizant of what is each specific child's needs. If something works for one child, maybe that's not what will work for the other child. What are their specific needs? Being cognizant of that fact. Not creating, not fostering an environment of competition amongst the children. Where they feel they have to compete for the parents' love for the parents' approval. You know, I hate to bring up personal things, but I'll mention it. Abdullah, you know the crazy guy running around setting up all this gadgetry around here? It's my younger brother. And from what you see here, you know, that's exactly what you get. Meaning, I'm the one talking on the microphone He's the one recording and editing and uploading the video, doing all the back end, the media work. But there's not a sense of competition. We have to learn to appreciate what everybody brings to the table. And we have to learn to respect everybody and not compete with each other in regards to what we are doing. But needs to, we need to not create an environment of competition, but one of collaboration. That how when we collaborate and we come together, we piece together, how unbelievable of a strong unit we can become as a family, as siblings, as brothers and sisters. You know, I don't know, I'm, I know I'm gonna date myself with this reference, but anybody remember Voltron? There we go. It's like Voltron, right? For somebody a little bit younger, Captain Planet? No? All right, never mind. All right, that's how you date yourself. 
But talking about solutions, what are some solutions that we can begin to implement? What are some solutions we can begin to implement to repair this family situation, family condition? Number one is spirituality. I talked about this in the beginning, I'll bring it up here again. When we repair our relationship with Allah, understand our relationship with Allah is the basis and the foundation of everything in our lives. Our relationship with Allah is the basis and the foundation of everything. This is something we say in the Qur'an, this is something we say in adhkar, this is something we say in supplications, in ad'iyah, in du'as. And that is, تَبَارَكَ الَّذِي بِيَدِينِ مُلْكَ فَتَبَارَكَ اللَّهُ أَحْسَنُ الْخَالِقِينَ تَبَارَكْتِ يَادَ الْجَلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ Allah is the source of all blessing. Allah is the one that grants blessing. When we will repair, and there are ahadith, there are traditions, there are narrations to the effect that when we repair our relationship with Allah, Allah will repair everything else. When a person is beloved to Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has what announcement made in the heavens and on the earth as well. That I love him, so everybody love him as well. Oh Jibreel, I love him, so you love him. Jibreel Ali says, Allah loves him, I love him, so all the inhabitants of the heaven, you love him. The inhabitants of the heaven, the angels and malaika come down upon the earth and say what? Allah loves him, Jibreel loves him, we love him, so therefore all of you love him. Him or her. So, spirituality. When we fix our things with Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put barakah and blessing and everything else in our lives. And this is something that is very obvious. That's why the Prophet of Allah was told, وَأْمُرْ أَهْلَكَ بِالصَّلَاةِ وَاسْتَبِرْ عَلَيْهَا Tell your family to pray and you be regular about family yourself. You be regular, punctual about prayer yourself. You be steadfast about the prayer yourself. Tie yourself upon the prayer. But tell your family to pray and then you pray yourself. You know, so talking about the parent-child relationship, we have to learn to repair our relationship. The parents must repair their relationship with Allah. That's why we're taught a dua, رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَّاتِنَا قُرَّةَ أَعْيُونَ وَجَعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ Imama. Make, the, make our spouses and our children the coolness of our eyes and make all of us the leaders of the muttaqeen. We have to repair spirituality, the parents and the children. And do it together as a family. Pray together as a family. Make dua. So first fix your relationship with Allah and that will put barakah and blessing. That will start to repair the relationship with the family members. Marriage. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in ayah number 238 of Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah says, Very carefully, very cautiously, very diligently watch over the prayers. But you know what's very interesting about this ayah? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this ayah in the middle of a passage which talks about what? Divorce. In the middle of giving us advice about divorce, Allah says, watch over the prayers. Why? Because maybe you're having problems in your marriage because you're having problems in your relationship with Allah. Go back and fix your relationship with Allah and put barakah back in your marriage. Put blessing back in your marriage. Bring the rahmah and the mercy of Allah back into your marriage. You know the houses in which Qur'an is recited? Shine unto the inhabitants of the heavens, the skies, as the stars shine onto the inhabitants of the earth. Our houses become filled with nur and barakah and blessing when we recite Qur'an in them. The Prophet ﷺ would pray the four daily prayers in the masjid. Where would he pray his sunnah and his nawafil? Where? In the home. 
And you know what, what that means for the Prophet of Allah This is the masjid, that's the home. Masjid home, masjid home. You see the difference? It was literally that much difference. He would take four steps and he'd be in his home. But he would still go. He would make the distinction. He would make, establish the fact that he would take those four steps, cross through the curtain, and pray in the home where the wife and the kids, where the family members were at. So bring spirituality back into your life, into your home, into your parent-child relationship, into your marriage. And see how it repairs. You know when you have spirituality, you have a good relationship with Allah, it makes you secure in yourself. It gives you confidence, it removes the insecurities. The parents are not insecure about their children. The children are not so constantly skeptical of the parents. You know, paranoid about the parents. Marriage, even sibling rivalry. They become secure in themselves through their relationship with Allah. The Prophet of Allah was told the same point. You know, in Surah Yaseen, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Don't doubt yourself, you are most definitely from the messengers. It gives you that sense of security. So first, spirituality needs to be reestablished. We need to fix our relationship with Allah, and family relationships will start to get better. The second thing, a second basic step, establishing communication. If you, have, if you don't, establish it. As awkward and as difficult as it might be. In, initially, when you establish communication, it's like pulling teeth. It's like pulling teeth, but establish it. If you have it, then broaden it. Then work on it. Then continue to build on it. Then maintain it. And open it further. But communication is very important. And I told you about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala presents certain difficult parent-child relationships in the Qur'an. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also presents beautiful parent-child relationships in the Qur'an. Luqman does what to his son? He just yells at him? Is that what he says? He says, hey you stupid boy, come here. Hey you idiot, come here. Is that what Luqman says to his son? He says, ya bunayya. It literally means, my small son. Which is an Arabic expression for saying, my dear son. Beloved son. You know when you have a nickname for your child. Come here, buddy. Let me talk to you, sweetie. You know, when you, when you speak to your child with love, he talks to his child. He's advising him. He's not lecturing him. He's not wagging his finger at him. He's not yelling at him. He's not scolding him. He's not constantly telling his son how disappointed he is in him. He's having a conversation with his son. My dear son, we see Yusuf, alayhi salam. He sees a dream, a life-altering, life-changing dream. What does he do with that dream? Go and tell his friends, text message his friend, you oh, bro, you won't believe what I just saw. Updates his Facebook status, saw a cool dream today, like my status. No, what does he do? He goes and he talks to his father. He tells, dear father, ya abati, my dear, dear father, dad, daddy, baba, 
Inni ra'aytu ahada ashara koka. He speaks to his father, communicates to his father. The Prophet ﷺ, the best husband of all time, would do what? He would communicate with his wives, he would communicate with his spouses. You know, Aisha radiallahu anha says that I never saw anyone doing more counsel, more mashwara, more shura than the Prophet of Allah. Nobody would consult in anything, not just the community affairs, not just the religious affairs, but even the affairs of the home. He talked to us, he would communicate to us. When the Prophet of Allah at Hudaybiyah, when he was frustrated that the Sahaba radiallahu anhum were just dumbfounded, where they were just speechless, they wouldn't. He's telling them, come on guys, you know, op- you know, shave your head, sacrifice your animal, you know, open your ihram. And they're not getting up and going because they're just completely dumbfounded. They're just overwhelmed. They're almost like traumatized by what's happened, that we have to go back without doing umrah. The Prophet does what? Who does he go and he talks? Who does he speak to? His wife, Ummu Salima. He speaks to his wife. About being a prophet, about the affairs of prophethood, he speaks to his wife. Communicates. He doesn't go in there and throws a fit. Where's my food? Why is this place always dirty? What's wrong with you? Why are you looking at me like that? What's your problem? Why are the kids always making noise? He doesn't take it out on her. He goes in there and he says, I don't know what to do. What's wrong? They won't, they're just not moving. It's not that they're not listening or not obeying. Well, these are the Sahaba Kiram radiallahu anhu. But they're just dumbfounded. They're just like traumatized. So she gives him advice. And subhanAllah, that advice works. But communication. You know, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ felt so comfortable talking to him, openly speaking to him. There's a famous story about Umar radiallahu anhu. He says something to his wife, and his wife speaks back to him like, uh-uh, I ain't about to do that. Or that's not how that is. Or I don't agree with you. And, you know, from back in the day, the old school mentality of Makkah of Quraysh, he's like, woman, did you just speak back to me? She says, yes. What's wrong with that? She says, the Prophet of Allah doesn't mind. What do you mean the Prophet doesn't mind? She says, your daughter Hafsa. When the daughter of Umar Hafsa was one of the wives of the Prophet Ummul Mu'mineen She speaks him openly, he doesn't mind. He says, what? He rushes over there. He says, girl, have you lost your mind? You speak back to the Prophet of Allah He says, no, it's communication. He tells us to speak our minds. He asks us what we think about things. He doesn't mind. Communication. It helps in the parent-child relationship as we see in the example of Luqman and Yusuf. And it most definitely helps in the marriage. So establishing communication. And then paying attention to how you communicate. Like in the parent-child relationship, the parent might say, I talk to him every day. But if all you say to your child is clean up your room, yes, you speak to your child every day. Clean up your room. Did you do your homework? Why do you fail your test? Why are you so stupid? Right? If you speak to your child, that's not enough. But how you communicate matters as well. What do you say? How do you speak? 
lovingly, kindly. You know, when spouses speak to each other, if everything is a sarcastic jab, so you didn't make food today, huh? Instead of really, that's not a question, by the way. You know that's not a question. Oh, so I guess you're busy today, huh? That's not a question. That's a slap in the face. Nothing good comes out of communication like that. That's, you have to give the benefit of the doubt. You have to be open. You have to be loving. You have to be caring. You have to be considerate. How you communicate. Having credibility. <clears throat> and understand when you start to communicate, you can't, the problem will not fix itself overnight. You can't be like, you know, one day you try to have a nice, you know, conversation. You know, what's going on with you? I hope you're doing well. You know, everything's good. And for now, you have a history of 10 years, 15 years of just bad communication. And you had one nice 20 minute conversation. And the other side is not warming up to you yet. Don't be like, see, well, you're obviously wrong. I tried. I was nice. It didn't work. See, it doesn't work. My way works. You don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't change overnight. The Prophet of Allah was a Sadiq al Amin. And then he presented the message. So you have to have some credibility. You have to have some credibility. You have to establish that credibility. You have to establish trust. And it won't happen overnight. Spirituality, communication. The third area where we can work on to improve these family relationships is like what I mentioned extensively, prioritization. We have to put these family relationships in the right priority. And that is making time for family. Whether that is parent-child relationship, make time for each other. Whether it's a spousal relationship, make time for each other. Even the sibling rivalry can be solved by spending time together, making time for each other. And just as a clarification, for the father who works tirelessly, and that's fine, that's respected, but understand that you might say, oh, I spend eight hours a day at home. Yeah, but you spend those eight hours a day sleeping on your face. That doesn't count as family time. You know, I come home, don't I? Yeah, you come home, you use the bathroom and you go to sleep. That doesn't count as spending time with your spouse. You have to spend good quality family time together. You have to make time for each other. And put each other as a first priority. And here comes the shocking part. We have to redefine the boundaries of ibadah. There is no guilt in spending time with family. Yes, it should not deter you from your basic responsibilities to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Salah is salah, prayer is prayer. But at the same time, we do have to redefine the boundaries of ibadah, of nafil, extra worship. You know, having a nice, quiet, intimate dinner with your spouse, having a candlelit dinner with your wife, is ibadah. It's a virtuous deed. Good deeds, reward, yes. I'm not crazy. You know when you wrestle around with your children? You know when you play with your kids? My kids are young, so that's, you know, horsing around. When you horse around with your kids, like you play hide and go seek, or my daughter constantly cheats all the time. So when it's my turn to hide and her turn to seek, she counts like this, one, two, like you're looking at me, Maryam. I can see you looking at me, right? Play fair. You know, how I, you know, alhamdulillah, I've developed a lot of upper body strength. 
You know how? It's an exercise that goes like this. Swings. Non-stop. These kids cannot, never get tired. I think, I think there's a possibility my daughters could grow up to fly fighter jets and be pilots. They never get tired of being on a swing. My younger one is two years old. She wakes up, first thing she does after she wakes up in the morning, she goes to the back door, because we have a swing set in the backyard. She stands at the back door, outside. Let me outside, that's code for outside, she's one word. She doesn't waste a lot of time. All right, she's very efficient. All right, outside, normal tone. If that request, if her request is not immediately obliged, then the second time, outside. And third time, it's a straight up just scream. Outside! Yes, okay, outside. Here we go, let's go, bismillah. And that's it, but spending quality time with them. Making time for them. And you know what? Playing hide and go seek with your kids, pushing them on the swings is an act of worship. It's an act of ibadah. It's an act of worship. You know the Messenger of Allah told the Sahaba radiallahu anhum that when spouses, husband and wife, experience intimacy with each other, I'm going to speak in general terms because we have a broad audience. When a husband and wife, when spouses experience intimacy with each other, enjoy intimacy with each other, physical intimacy, the Prophet of Allah said, they get, it's a virtuous act. The Sahaba were shocked just as much as you probably are. Are you serious? Like for real? And the Prophet of Allah presented very simple logic. If you were to commit the same physical act outside of marriage, would it be a sin? Yes, then it's an act of reward and an act of virtue in marriage. But one of the lessons we learn from that is that engaging in the actual relationship Seeking emotional pleasure in the relationship is an act of, is a virtuous act. It's an act of reward. You know something that's established through research and something that I learned a practical lesson from my own father as a role model for me was my dad was very involved at the masjid. He was one, he was one of the founders of the masjid that we all grew up going to, and then alhamdulillah now in his retirement age, he was able to found another masjid to a new area we moved to. My uncles, my dads, they were always involved in this. Frontline, mashallah, alhamdulillah, I learned from them. But you know one thing though? Being on the board of the masjid, being a founder of the masjid, being involved in the da'wah activity at the masjid, it never got in the way of family. It was never put before family. There could be a meeting going on in the masjid, and my dad would get a call, and he would excuse him, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it to the meeting of the masjid. If that gets me kicked off the board, oh, he's never here for the meeting. Fine, kick me off, I guess that's fine. But every single day, and my dad owned his own business, by the way. How many people here own their own business? Alright? A businessman knows. What time does your job end? It never does. A businessman never clocks out. A businessman lives, eats, and sleeps his business. But every day there was a cutoff time for my dad. Five o'clock, done. Store is closed, the phone is off. Sorry. You'll pay extra if I come right now? It's okay, I guess I'll see you tomorrow. You're gonna go to somebody else? Then I guess you'll go to somebody else. My risk is written by Allah. But I'm not gonna give up my, I'm not gonna sacrifice my family. 
Five o'clock every day. Then he came home, sat with us, talked to us, played with us, helped us with our homework. And then we ate dinner together as a family. And then when dinner was done, then he went for Salat al-Isha to the Masjid and I went with him. But that was every single day. And nothing would get in the way of that. Not the business, not the meeting at the Masjid, not the da'wah activity, nothing. Family first. We have to learn that prioritization, we have to learn that attitude. Redefining these boundaries of ibadah and worship. And understanding what's important. It's very, very important that we understand what's important. You know, and one other recommendation I make in terms, in the research, the Center for Substance Abuse and Addiction at Columbia University published a research in Time Magazine, ran with the story in June 2006. I recommend you go, you look it up and you read it. And it talked about how families and homes where they eat one meal together every single day, they eat at least one meal together, those are happier, healthier homes and families. Because they spend quality time together. One of the recommendations that I mentioned in the Quran, pray salah together. Merge family time and spirituality together. When you're gonna go out to the park, let's pray dhuhr and then head out to the park. We're gonna go for ice cream, let's pray Isha and then we'll go out for ice cream. Merge these things together, create a positive association with these things. That's how you can do tarbiyah of your children. That's how you can instill the deen within your family, within your children. Eating meals together, joins and brings the hearts together. Expressing, and then the fifth area that we, the fourth area that we can work on, expressing love and appreciation for each other. There's no such thing as showing too much love. Discipline has its place. Expectations have its place. Rules and boundaries have their place. I'm not talking about that. We confuse love with those things. Have discipline, have boundaries, have limitations, have rules, have consequences. Have all of that. But express love. Tell your children how much you love them. Tell your spouse how much you love them. Show appreciation. Don't just have appreciation. Oh, but I do appreciate you. Do I have to show it? Do I have to buy you flowers? Yes, you do. Do I have to take you out for a nice meal? Yes. Do I have to tell you how much I love you? Do I have to hug and kiss you? Yes. Very, very, very important. And I understand that this breaks certain cultural taboos. In certain cultures, it's awkward. It's strange for a father to tell his children, I love you. When they put them to bed at night, when they wake up in the morning, when they say, Salam, Salaam Alaikum, how you guys doing? Everything's okay? I love you guys. Right? Telling your daughter, I love you, Maryam, I love you, Aisha. I know that it seems awkward or taboo in certain cultures, but again, I go back to the very first point that I made. You gotta understand where your children are coming from. And you gotta understand human expectations. In the parent-child relationship, in the marital, in the spouse relationship, spousal relationship, expressing love and appreciation. And the last and the final point I'll make here, make dua. Never forget to make dua. Allah taught us a comprehensive dua. رَبَّنَا هَبْلَنَا مِنْ أَزْوَاجِنَا وَذُرِّيَّاتِنَا قُرَّةَ أَعْيُنَ Coolness of the eyes. You know what coolness of the eyes means? It's an ancient Arabic, Arabic expression. 
To understand expressions, sometimes you have to look at them, you have to understand them from the perspective of the person who first said them or spoke them. From the people who use that expression. You have to understand it from their perspective. You know what it means, coolness of the eyes? The ancient Arabs would say this. You guys will actually be able to relate to this. People who live in Arizona. Alright? Imagine the summertime, being in the middle of the desert. Again, like I said, you really don't have to imagine. Alright, it's 120 degrees outside. But imagine you don't have these comfortable buildings and structures. Uh, structures. Imagine you don't have air conditioning and fans. You're out there in the middle of the desert, in the scorching heat of the desert. 120 degrees outside. Hot wind is blowing. And it's blowing the hot burning sand into your dust. How much do you, how much, even now with air conditioning and everything you have, sometimes in the summer, how dry do your eyes get? How, much, how irritated do your eyes become? How much do they itch? Right? But imagine being out there in the desert without all this luxury and experiencing that. And your eyes feel like they're on fire. Your eyes feel like you just want to rip them out. You want to scratch them till they're gone. They burn. And then you come across some cool, clean water. And you take that cool, clean water and you splash it into your eyes and on your face. How refreshing, how invigorating, how amazing does it feel? We're saying, oh Allah, when I look at my spouse, when I look at my wife, when a wife makes his dua, she's saying, oh, when I look at my husband, when I look at my children, when I look at my family, oh Allah, make it feel like I just splashed cool, clean water into my eyes and my face. Refresh me. And then, وَجَعَلْنَا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ imama, And make all of us for the muttaqin, make us imams and leaders of the most pious and righteous. Make us a role model family for generations to come. So in connection with this, you know, these, these are just like I said initially, these are some topics, these are some concerns. This is an issue that's been on my mind for a very long time. And as you see from the context of the Qur'an, and the seerah, and the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, this is a very core concept of our religion, our faith, and this is a basic human need and concern. And so alhamdulillah, this is just a short conversation I wanted to share. But this is part of a larger project that alhamdulillah, I'm embarking on. Um, through Qalam Institute that we're going to actually have a program, a traveling course called Happiness in the Home where we'll actually be traveling around the country to different communities having a, uh, a full seminar talking about some of these concerns and implementing more practical solutions so we can better the condition and the situation of families throughout our communities inshallah. So this is just, these were just some thoughts, some things that I wanted to share with uh, the community here today. Uh, and again, I want to thank you for being patient and um, listening and being attentive. And I hope and I pray that this was a source of benefit for everyone. Jazakumullah khairan. Um, again, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us and give us the ability to practice everything we've said and heard. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.